inner peace. Paano ba yun? In Bhutan, a largely Buddhist country, they believe that inner peace is when your emotional, mental, and spiritual state are in harmony, are calm, even when challenges and problems arise. Note that this is not about being deadma or unaffected by other people. It's actually being bothered by it, understanding it, and looking at yourself, others, and the situation with compassion. Let's talk about that today here on the podcast. Hello, supers! Welcome back to Paano Ba to the Podcast, a Spotify exclusive produced by me, Bianca Gonzalez, and Anima Podcasts. It's a solo episode again today on the podcast, and I guess this is part three of my Lessons from Bhutan series. There's so much, honestly, that I want to share, but I try to distill it in case you missed last episode that was all about happiness and what we might be getting wrong about happiness. And today, it's all about inner peace. What do the Bhutanese believe is the secret or the key or the ingredients to achieving inner peace? Let's get right to it. Let's start with a bit of a background. So like I've been mentioning over and over, Bhutan is really such a spiritual place. Like the moment you step foot, you really feel it. And this definitely has to do with their practices in Buddhism. So 75% of the country is Buddhism. And throughout the day, throughout the week, there are so many, I guess, touch points for them to practice their religion and for them to connect to their spirituality. So of course, in Buddhism, the main figure is the Buddha. And the historical Buddha is what I want to talk about right now. So again, these are things that I learned from my trip from my guide, Kinga. So if there's anyone listening to this who wants to fact check or correct me, please feel free to do so. Okay, so the Buddha... Imagine the image of the Buddha in your head, usually color gold, color bronze, right? Apparently, every time they make a statue or even a painting of the Buddha, they have to follow the exact measurements. They can't do a la Picasso and do their own thing. It really has to be very exact. And so the Buddha, when you see the image in your head, they talk about the Buddha going through six years of meditation. So for six years, the historical Buddha meditated before the Buddha reached pure enlightenment. So again, I want you to imagine the image of the Buddha. So the Buddha has long ears, right? So on the sides of the head, the lobes are a bit long. And when I asked why this is, they said that when the Buddha was meditating for six years, six years of suffering through meditation, madaming distractions, a lot of demons that were trying to get to the Buddha to stop him from meditating. And so some of the demons were pulling his ears down to distract him. Thus, the long ears. Imagine the Buddha and go up to the head of the Buddha. I always thought that that was the hair of the Buddha, that the hair of the Buddha was sort of like curly and close to the head, to the skull. Apparently, those are snails on the head of the Buddha. The belief in Bhutan is that during the six years of meditation of the historical Buddha, snails from the ground started to go up to the Buddha's head to protect the Buddha's head from the demons. 
So I mentioned, I think this was online, about 108 being an auspicious number in Buddhism. So 108 snails. So what we see in a black, those are actually the shells of the snails. Protecting the Buddha's head from the demons that are trying to distract him from his meditation. After the six years of meditation through suffering, that is when the Buddha reached pure enlightenment. And I couldn't really understand at first what pure enlightenment went, but apparently that is when the Buddha reached inner peace. So despite the many distractions of the demons pulling the ears, the different weather conditions, tinatamaan siya, everything, the Buddha stayed focused, right? And achieved inner peace. Paano yun? And that's what I wanted to share here on the podcast. A bit of a backtrack even more. When the Buddha was born, it is believed that the Buddha took seven steps. So as soon as the Buddha was born, seven steps. And the seven steps became lotus flowers, which is why the lotus is such a big image, an important image in Bhutanese culture. When you see Bhutanese architecture, and I've shared this on my social media as well, all the windows have a specific shape. And even newer buildings must follow that specific shape. And that is to allude to the lotus. Apparently, yun yung shape na yun, yung parang may curl na ganon. That is to liken it to the lotus flower. And so when you also see Buddhist temples, you'll usually see cups of water na nakaalay by the candle at the foot of the Buddha. And usually, pito din yun. Those are seven bowls of water to signify the seven steps that the Buddha took that became lotus flowers. Fast forward to his teenage years, Buddha was a god of status, but he would usually ask around about how the people are doing, what the people are doing. And so again, I was born and raised, and until now I'm Roman Catholic. There are a lot of similarities that I mentioned. And so see Buddha, when he was an adult, he actually left his comfortable life and he wanted to be with the people. He wanted to know what suffering was like and I guess how he could help them, right? And so doon siya nagsimula ng kanyang um, journey, getting to know more about humanity, getting to know more about suffering. And that's when he did his six years of meditation. So part of, I guess, the, the beliefs in Buddhism is that suffering is caused by the five poisons. Again, I go back to the image of the mandala. This is from the first episode, Five Life Lessons from Bhutan. So in the image of the mandala is the six realms of existence, one of which is the realm of human existence, where we are. Um, and despite the suffering, the belief is that in the human realm is where we can achieve the most happiness. They also believe that there are five poisons. So the five poisons are attachment, Anger, ignorance, pride, and jealousy. And itong five poisons na to ang source of all suffering, right? Dun sa gitna ng mandala, you will see usually three animals. A pig, a snake, and a bird. So the pig is the animal that signifies ignorance. And that is the belief because ang baboy daw, whatever you serve it, it will eat. So yun ang ignorance. Parang not wanting to to know more or learn more. Another image in the center of the mandala is the snake. So the snake signifies anger. So snake because kapag daw mapaapaka by the snake or you get near a snake, touch a snake, it will shoot at you. 
parang gaganon siya. Gaganon siya sa'yo, di ba? Wow. Bakit ko sinabing rar? <laughs> hindi, hindi tiger, snake. So, the snake will pounce at you, right? So, the snake signifies the anger and aversion. Lastly, in the middle of the mandala, there's a bird. The belief in Bhutan specifically is that it's a peacock, but in other places, it's a rooster or other birds. So, ang peacock, it signifies attachment. Because pala the peacock, sabi nila, when the peacock finds a partner in life, it will never let go of the partner. It is attached to the partner. So, which is why attachment is also likened to greed. So, that's ignorance, anger, attachment, along with pride and jealousy, which makes up the five poisons. And the aim of spiritual practice, the aim of meditation, the aim of self-reflection is to subdue the poisons, diba? Naturally, if these are the five poisons that cause suffering, ang goal natin is to manage itong five poisons na to in our life so that our suffering will be lessened, diba? The Buddhists believe that tao lang tayo, right? We, at one point in our lives, or several points, will experience these five poisons. How do we transform it, is the question, right? How do we transform these poisons so that we will suffer less? Their answer is self-reflection. So I know that this has been a buzzword the past few years, right? Self-reflection, meditation, Muni Muni, thinking about things. Pero it was on this trip that I only truly understand what it really means to be quiet and to reflect. They also note that it's so important to be sincere and honest in our self-examination. And like I've mentioned here on the podcast, the only person we cannot lie to is ourselves. Bakit pa tayo nagalit? Why do I feel so attached? Am I really feeling jealous? Naging ma-pride ba ako dito? Nobody else can answer that honestly except ourselves. Now they say the key to self-reflection is one, to acknowledge it. Ibig sabihin, wag mong i-deny na hindi, hindi ako nagsiselos yung pala deep inside. You really are. So one, acknowledge it. Two, and this is super key, is don't judge yourself. Again, Buddhism reminds that we are humans. This is natural to humans. And so we should not judge ourselves if ever we feel these emotions, right? So don't judge yourself for feeling anger or for feeling ignorance, right? Acknowledge it. Don't judge yourself. And the third is to transform that emotion. I wanted to give an example that literally just happened a few hours ago. So I had a very, very little argument with my husband. So I was looking for candles in our dining area. Kasi parang yung pagkain umamoy in our dining area. So I wanted the dining area to smell good. I was looking for it. I remember my husband fixed up yesterday. So I opened the cabinet where the candles usually are and wala doon. I immediately thought, hi nako. And then I looked at all our other cabinets in the dining area. Wala na naman doon. So in my head, my default was like, ano ba yan? Nagagalaw na naman ang mga bagay without asking me or telling me. So I got worked up. And then I asked him, where do you put the candles? He answered, it's upstairs in the cabinet. And then in my head, lumaki na. Ayan na naman, nilagay na naman upstairs. Hindi ba niya kukunin? Kita niyang, I'm asking about it. And then ang nasabi ko sa kanya, so, am I gonna get it? 
And then he said, Why did you say that you wanted me to get it? And then by that time, nasa stairs na ako. I was on my way up, about to get it. And I said, Ako na, ako na. Nandito na ako. Ako na kuha. So I went up, I got the candles, I moved it downstairs. And it wasn't exactly a fight, right? But I got worked up. So as I lit the candles and I was writing my outline for this episode, I realized, Lily, Bianca, kailangan mo bang mainis ng ganon? All you had to do was like, calm down. Candles are not here. My husband has fixed it. Let me ask for help. Right? I mean, this is just a tiny, tiny example, but I can imagine that we've had this in varying degrees, right, in our life. And so we have to be sincere and honest in ourselves about our self-reflection. And when we can tap into this, that's really when we can manage these five poisons, suffer less, and achieve a bit more inner peace. What you just heard are a few sounds that I recorded on the hike up to Taksang Monastery, more commonly known as Tiger's Nest. So when you, I guess, Google Bhutan, this is one of the images that will definitely come up. So it's a monastery that was built on a cliff 3,120 meters above sea level. It's one of the most revered places of pilgrimage in the Himalayas. And I actually... It's really a core memory, but this place was the first place I truly got to meditate successfully. I'm 40 years old. I've been trying to meditate on and off for the many years of my life. And this trip, this hike up Tiger's Nest was the only successful time I was able to meditate. And when I opened my eyes after the meditation, I was like, wow, so that's what that is supposed to feel like. Of course, I don't know if it was the exhaustion of the hike that made me zone out while meditating, if it was all the visits to the temples in the five days leading up to my hike to Tiger's Nest. Nonetheless, I'm so grateful for having experienced that. So Tiger's Nest, the belief is that in the 7th century, Guru Rinpoche, who I've mentioned in a past episode, he's the reincarnation of the historical Buddha, the belief is Guru Rinpoche traveled from eastern Bhutan to this spot. His consort transformed into a tigress, and Guru Rinpoche rode on the tigress that flew up to this spot, Tiger's Nest. It's a cave where he meditated to subdue the demons that were in the mountains. He meditated in this cave for three years, three months, three weeks, and three days. Again, this is still a number that to this day, monks meditate for that long a period. And then in the 1500s is when the first temple was built. And in the 1600s, the whole site, the whole monastery was complete, like how we see it in the pictures now. In 1998, there was a fire. And it was believed that one of the butter lamps was knocked over by a mouse. Ito na naman yung mga sabi-sabi, syempre, yung mga paniniwala, like what we have also here in our churches, right? So a mouse knocked off the butter lamp and it burned down. 
Tiger's Nest. It was reconstructed in 2005 by the fourth king of Bhutan, who is the current king's father. And during that fire, there was a statue that survived. The belief is that this statue of Guru Rinpoche was a self-speaking statue. They apparently built this statue in Punaka, which is another valley in Bhutan, and they transported it to Paro to put in Tiger's Nest. Again, I mentioned 3,000 plus plus meters up. It's not an easy hike for just a solo person carrying a small backpack. What more carrying a statue, right? So the belief is that monks were really like at a loss how to actually carry it up, but the statue is believed to have spoken, do not worry. And there was this magical thing that happened. There was help to be able to bring the statue up to Tiger's Nest. So for those who are planning to go to Bhutan, this is definitely a must-not-miss part. It's two hours long for regular trekkers who are fit. And if you go at a more comfortable pace, it's three hours. It's four kilometers one way. It doesn't seem so far, but because it's so steep, like you literally, oh my gosh, it's so steep. And the air is getting thinner because you go through a change of 700 meters in elevation. So hingal to the max talaga. For some seniors, they can take a horse up until halfway point where there is a cafeteria and then you hike up the rest of the way. But for those who are able, I think it's really part of the pilgrimage. It's part of the pilgrimage to walk the whole way and it's part of the experience. In my time in Tiger's Nest, of course, it was, I think, maybe just an hour before we headed down. We went through several temples. And there I realized that meditation, my problem has been with meditation is that parang andami kong iniisip. I can't meditate. I can't think of nothing. But it is only truly there that I realized meditation is not thinking of nothing. Meditation is literally being present in your head, in your breath, in your body, feeling what you're feeling at the moment, acknowledging whatever thoughts come your way and not judging yourself for it, and just truly being in the moment. That's meditation. And in Bhutan, it was funny because throughout my trip, I was saying, I wonder if there's someone I can meditate with to teach me meditation. And dun ko lang na-realize na there, their meditation is actually prayer. So they sit in the temple and they pray and they're present. And that is what meditation is for them. And so, yeah, this is definitely an unforgettable experience where I truly felt yun yung inner peace. And I can only hope to try to channel that process, that feeling again when I do want to feel that inner peace. <laughs> More sounds from Bhutan, and what you just heard is a blessing that I went through with a monk who tied a sunki. So in Bhutan, they call it the sunki. It's the colored string, and it was tied to my wrist to wish me a safe journey. So the Buddhist string is believed to 
give you protection from evil spirits, from bad luck, from negative energy. A monk prays over it. And you can wear it for three days or as long as you want. So yeah, I'm still wearing my string to this day. I wanted to talk about the two, I guess, ingredients. Two things to transform these poisons in humanity. I talked about the five poisons earlier. And for the Bhutanese, rooted in Buddhism, it's two things. To transform these five poisons, to lessen suffering in our lives, to achieve inner peace, what we need is kindness and compassion. I know it sounds like all too simple, all too woo-woo, really kindness and compassion, but I think what they're inviting us to do is to really think about what these two words mean. Compassion is the wish for another human being to be free from suffering. It's easy to feel like, huh, how can I do that? Ang dami kong pinaproblema. Siya pa ba yung iisipin ko? Ang dami kong suffering myself. Bakit yung kanya yung iisipin ko? Right? In the book, Be Free Where You Are, also written by Thich Nhat Han, he talked about understanding and how it makes compassion possible. So Thich Nhat Han says it's important to understand that other people suffer too. Let me read what he wrote. He says, When we suffer, we tend to believe that we are the victims of other people, that we are the only ones who suffer. That is not true. The other person also suffers. He has difficulties, fears, and worries too. If we could only see the pain within him, we would begin to understand him. So Thich Nhat Hanh goes on to say that, you know, when we open our minds and our heart to understand, he says, quote, With compassion in you, you will suffer much less. Let me say that again. With compassion in you, you will suffer much less. He goes on to write, Many of us are afraid of being attached, so we sometimes pretend to be tough and cruel to protect ourselves, even though we have compassion and understanding inside. Without compassion, we suffer a lot, and we make people around us suffer. Whew. Super loaded lines. I love those lines. Again, that's from the book, Be Free Where You Are. Yeah, I mean, that's totally relatable for me in that one, sometimes we see ourselves as the only ones. Diba? Bakit ako? Bakit? Why am I going through this? And also, sometimes we use it as a defense mechanism, diba? We come off strong, we come off tough, we come off cruel, even if deep inside, mabait naman tayong tao, diba? So he says that understanding is what makes compassion possible. On the other hand of compassion, I mentioned kindness. Now, they have a term called metta. Metta, or loving kindness. They believe that showing loving kindness to all living things, helping them to not get hurt, extending care and consideration to others and ourselves, that is loving kindness. So I talked earlier about the six years of meditation of the historical Buddha. And Buddha, through his meditation, he knew that human beings were trapped or like we're in this cycle of birth and death, and in the middle of the birth and death is suffering. And the Buddhist belief is that with loving kindness, with compassion, it's the key to lessening the suffering in human life. This is a quote from the 14th Dalai Lama. He says, Love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive. Absolutely. I mean, the belief is that compassion and loving kindness, you know, they complement each other 
And they are the antidotes to the five poisons. Kindness and compassion may sound like generic words, but if you get to the root of it, it does address these five poisons that we have been talking about. You know, attachment, anger, ignorance, pride, jealousy. If we try our best to practice kindness and compassion, that's really the key. Again, and if we have compassion, we suffer less. When we talk about Buddha's pure enlightenment after his six years of meditation, we talk about inner peace, diba? So the aim, I guess, of spiritual practice, the aim of self-reflection, the aim of everything I've been talking about is really to practice compassion and loving kindness in our thoughts, in our actions, in our everyday Hindi laging mangyayari yon, of course, tao lang tayo, but the awareness to choose to live that way, right? With kindness and compassion as hopefully our default. That's the key, at least for me. That's my goal now in life. I know I won't always be able to do it, but I want to hopefully walk the talk. Cultivating understanding, right? Loving kindness, Cultivating compassion by looking deeply first within ourselves and then others is really so important. And again, going back to what I said earlier, this is not about being deadma or unaffected by other people, right? It's actually being bothered by the five poisons that we see in ourselves and around us. Trying to understand it, not judge it, looking at ourselves, looking at others and our situations with compassion. And I think if we do this, we'll be living in a world where we're looking out for one another more closely. And that's it for part three of our Lessons from Bhutan episode. I do hope that you gained something from this episode. Sometimes I don't know if I'm rambling or if you're actually feeling filled by what I am sharing. But again, this is, I guess, an audio diary for me to remember all the wonderful lessons as well. And if you liked anything, if you have any favorite takeaway or quote from this, please do share it with me. Post it on social media and tag me at I am Super Bianca on Instagram, Instagram stories, and Twitter. You can also follow and tag Paano Bato on Instagram. We also have our community of supers, our private Facebook group, the Paano Bato Super Group. I'd love to hear from you, so please do message me. That's it for this episode. I'm so happy to get to share this experience with you, at least here on the podcast. This is Paano Bato the Podcast, a Spotify exclusive produced by me, Bianca Gonzalez, and Anima Podcasts. And to anyone who wants to share their learnings and experiences as well, through a podcast, please check out Spotify for Podcasters. It's free and super easy to start your own podcast. Till our next episode. A lot of you have been asking about an episode. Kung paano ba mag-travel ng mag-isa? How to do solo travel? That's our episode for next week. See you then. Stay safe, supers! Stay safe, supers!